Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, May 1st. It was a bit of a calmer week news-wise from the professional tennis world. Of course, no week was going to be able to surpass the last one where we saw WTA and ATP merger talks. We saw player relief fund uh details start to finally emerge. And of course, those storylines continue to develop throughout the week, and we've talked about them all week long here on the Mini Break Podcast. But the biggest news was probably the fact that we got our first live tennis results. And yes, they were virtual. I, of course, am referring to the virtual Madrid Open. But it was nice to see our top tennis players competing against one another. It was nice to see some trash talk. It was nice to see some results. And certainly, we want to share our thoughts on that inaugural tennis video game event and joining me on the podcast to do just that today you know him as my doubles partner my partner in crime and I'm just thrilled to have him back on the podcast with this much frequency Maxwell Labauer Rothman Maxie welcome to the mini break how you doing today I'm good, man. Well, as we said, you know, three in a week is uh, is a nice start to to get me back into the game. So uh, I'm I'm excited to be here. And um, you know, while there isn't a lot of live tennis, I'll I'll settle for a little bit of virtual in the meantime while we wait for these exhibition matches to start. Nice little preview into something we'll touch on a little bit later. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. No, it's clear that you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, bored in and- the house, bored in the house, bored. <laughs> No, I mean, there, there's no chaser for you, right? Straight shots. If you were going to come back, you are going to come back in a three-pod week. And, of course, the third element you probably all heard, the mini-break Max and I did earlier in the week. If you haven't, go check that out. This mini-break is two. Number three is the addition of CR Classics that you and I did together. We broke down that 2009 Wimbledon final between Roger Federer and Andy Roddick. While the podcast has not come out yet, you can find that video on our YouTube channel, our newest CR our classics. It was a blast. And by the way, shout out to super producer Daniel Westhoff because you and I went, I think, two hours total and that whole podcast will be released. (laughs) He somehow managed to edit that down to like an hour, two minutes. I feel like that is actually the most successful, you know, accomplishment of the week. I mean, that's insane. I mean, there's definitely some fluff, but oof. And that's an hour of it? Oh, boy. (laughs) There was probably 30 minutes of club tennis talk that he cut. And it's like, you guys want to hear that in podcast form, but no one one needs to hear that for the 8,000th time. Yeah. He was like, "Uh, I'm not going to weave in highlights from your YouTube Club Tennis National Championship video. Just another drop. that I I feel like we've been talking about that a lot this week, and I think Westoff brought that up to me last night because he's back home. And I was like, yeah, it's because Rothman's back on the show. Like, what do you want from me? (laughs) What do you expect? Uh, Yeah, it's going to happen inevitably. But, of course, the reason these shows are able to happen day in, day out is because of our friends at Midwest Sports. Maxie, tell our listeners what's up. Well, look, Midwest Spurs for more than 20 years has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. As one of the top online tennis stores with a 
uh, they offer a comprehensive selection and fast shipping of tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from our automated warehouses. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight this, your skills on the court. Their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with the tennis equipment and can help you find the perfect tennis racket, tennis shoe, or tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Now, Alex, I know you're a Midwest guy, so you know a little bit about Midwest sports and the tennis world. What, what do you think of MidwestSports.com? Well, here's my personal testimonial, because as my doubles partner, you can attest to this. I don't know how to grip rackets, correct? <laughs> I, I have gripped many of an Alex Gruskin racket. It's true. I have not once. I always just hand it to Max. I'm like, hey, man. And there's always a little shame in my face. I'm like, do you mind? Like, can you, can you grip this? Also me, a little please? shame in mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you build camaraderie. Um, but I can truthfully say that the other day, I, because I was wanting to do this hitting thing and just my grip wasn't working. And I was like, I need to figure this out. And some people would probably just go to YouTube. And those people are more equipped with modern day technology than I am, I suppose. But you know what I did? I called our friends at Midwest Sports and I said, hey, I'm having a gripping problem. Like, it's just not sticking. It's not making the fart noise. It's not working. And look, it's true. Their staff were able to guide me through. They're like, it's, it's really not that hard. Just keep making circles till it works. I was like, I'm trying. I just I can't make the circle. But they were like, no, no, no. You can do this. Stay calm. Stay focused. And they actually stayed on the phone with me through the attempt. Now, does that mean maybe there's a little less going on than usual? Yes. But it also really does show that their staff are the best in the business. And that's why we here at Crack Rackets are so excited to continue to be working with them moving forward. And for all of you listeners who are curious, how can you go check out their stuff? Be sure to go to their website, MidwestSports.com. I promise you will enjoy all the things they have in their inventory, from Nike to Wilson to Head to Yonix. They've got it all, and you can find the tennis equipment you need by going to MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order. And who doesn't like saving money in their pocket? Any order over $75. You'll also get free two-day shipping as well. Maxie, I know that's something that benefited you as of late. It did. You know, I uh, I luckily in the last couple days started teaching tennis again. Uh, safely, of course. We wear gloves on our hands to make sure we don't touch the same balls. And of course, we maintain that six feet, actually ten feet of social distancing. But I ran out of uh, rackets. Both my rackets broke strings and uh, Midwest Sports came in clutch, got me that string in, you know, two days. And I was able to get it strung just in time for my next lesson. So uh, thank you very much, Midwest Sports. Yeah. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You can be like Max and I, get the advice you need, get the gear you need, help take your tennis game to the next level. On a side note, I've always said you're the Michael Jackson of tennis, uh, Maxie, so to hear that you're wearing gloves on your hands while you're playing now makes a lot of sense. It, it, it's almost too right. It, it just It's <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Well, speaking of perfect, the way I like to perfectly start these podcasts is to run through the day's news because we want to, of course, keep all of you listeners up to date on what is happening. Let's do that now. And let's start with the event we talked about. The big uh, attempt that went on this week in the professional tennis world was professional tennis's foray into the video game uh, conquest. And, you know, this week, the Virtual Madrid Open, 16 men, 16 women, four groups of four, round-robin play. They were trying 
trying it, it was really a demo run to see if there's any appeal in this sort of event to see how it would go and look were there were there blips were there flaws were there pullouts due to bad internet connection of course there were um but overall maxi let's just start what were your impressions of this event well, look, I mean, it's tough, right? Some of these guys have played these games before. Some of them haven't. Um, and, you know, it, it's definitely weird to watch, uh, you know, the, the tennis game, you know, in a, in a video game. I've played plenty of the different versions of tennis video games over the years. Top Spin 4 was one of my favorites. Um, but this wasn't that exciting for me. Uh, and there were, unfortunately, you know, more uh, connection issues than we would have liked. I know, I think Murray and Schwartzman, uh, we couldn't even finish watching them. They had connection issues, and then we just, it, it went away. Um, and so they had to play off stream to determine, you know, who was going to be the finalist. Um, so, you know, for all we know, they just fudged that. And Murray was like, yo, Diego, I'll give you 10 bucks if you let me slide into the finals. <laughs> Um, is that the number? Ten bucks would have done. Diego's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I can imagine Diego even just being like, my friend, you deserve it. <laughs> so well, we said at the beginning of the week that Murray was the favorite, and obviously he did end up taking care of business. He was, he is a good video game player. Yeah, no, I mean clearly he he showed it. Uh, his match against Nadal, and you know we we. Weren't sure if Nadal was going to play because of that supposed back injury. He ends up coming back and playing. And uh, if you watch any of, by the way, I was going to say the back injury, just a prank. Yeah, like a great, like brilliant from hilarious. Uh, I think it was who who did it. Uh, Lopez was the one who came. Yeah, out. I don't yeah, no, it was Feliciano. It. Yeah, that is just. That, yeah, that's hey, great shot. That's good marketing. Yeah, um, but if you watched Murray play Rafa, I mean, I think Rafa got like one point. Like he just, <laughs> you could see his face too when he was playing. He was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I, I haven't <laughs> held one of these controllers in ten years. Um, yeah. yeah, so I don't know. It, it kind of cute and funny, but I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> yeah. No. So here's the thing. I would say. You know, A, again, such a good cause because for Andy Murray, who wins the event, he's, he donates the $45,000 in prize money. Half of that, I believe, is going to— The player uh, relief uh, fund. It, yeah, half of that is going to the player relief fund. Half of that is going to the National Health Services in England. So, uh, you know, obviously the uh, attempt, the motives is the word I was looking for behind this event were great. And you look at some of the social media numbers just real quick because I'm curious what you think. They reached uh, f- over 15 million unique users. There are over 160,000 interaction in total. It was something like 75 million-plus people reached. I mean, look, you're right. There were there were blips and bumps. I think the highlights we got from this were outstanding, particularly watching the players interact. And I think if we do something like this again moving forward, you know, as a commentator, maybe this isn't the smartest thing to say business-wise, but do we even need commentators? Can't we just let the players run the show and watch them? I think that's something to take away. But again, it was a valiant attempt, certainly. I mean, that, that obviously was the best part, was watching these guys talk to each other and, and react in a competitive spirit, you know, when they lose points and they're like joking with each other about what happened during that point it, it that was obviously the best part uh but also just something of course funny to bring up you know murray donates that forty-five thousand uh to two different causes and then on twitter just gets absolutely hammered for not matching it with his own money which i just is just classic um people are never satisfied you know they they expect 
more and more always. Uh, just, you know, be happy that the guy donated the money. He didn't, he, like, obviously it's expected, but he didn't have to do that. Um, so, I don't know. I just thought that was a funny tidbit watching just comment after comment. How could you not match it? Your Andy Murray is a, come on. Yeah. No, you know, I understand the sentiment behind it, but it's like, this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah, like, can't exactly. Enjoy, like, insert, exactly. insert, this is why we can't have nice things meme. Yeah, exactly. And I do also want to give a shout out, by the way, to Kiki Bertens. And I know she's donating her money as well. I'm not sh- quite sure where, but she was also a phenomenal, like low key, spectacular video game player and what was so funny you look at the wikipedias i think on both of their pages someone was having fun and they put 2020 madrid Camp. and like on the surface it says pro video gamer yeah like it's it's really i mean she did dominate in that final 6-1 that's a beating yeah no absolutely and it's funny because you said you don't want to see this again but img announced i think it was a couple of days ago that they're going to do their virtual or stay at home slam i believe it's what it's called and it's going to be a combination and it's a lot of william morris endeavor clients img clients coming together do a little celebrity tennis player crossover video game and they're playing mario tennis mario tennis aces for the nintendo switch see now that is a different twist i might be more interested in that (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, players-wise, Serena, Osaka, Venus, Sharapova, Kaney Shikori, Keys, Fritz, Kevin Anderson, joining people like Ryan Tannehill, Seals, Steve Aoki, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Haley Bieber, Gigi Hadid, which I learned how to pr- correctly pronounce last night. I think I butchered it on yesterday's. Well, again, it's better than nothing, right? Yeah, I mean, also, if Fritz doesn't win that, he's going mean, <laughs> to He has to win that. Um <laughs> Yeah, if no. it was Xbox or PS4, I'd agree with you. But I feel like the Switch, it being a Nintendo product, he doesn't strike me as a Nintendo guy. It doesn't matter. The skills that he has on the Xbox. Let me tell you, I mean, you remember when we played uh, FIFA with him back in the day? The dude's money. That's true. He's, he's yeah, got but it. I feel like Osaka's going to rock the Switch game. Like, she's the dark horse. Oh. Well, it might not even be a dark horse. She's a, she's a contender. Yeah, that's true. Uh, also, I have no idea how the skills of these other guys. I mean, Steve Aoki could be a beast. Who knows? <laughs> He's a guy who could also be Nintendoing just nonstop. Oh, absolutely. What's going, yeah, what's going on in his brain? Um, no, but yeah, that's the stay-at-home slam. That's going to be 4 p.m. Uh, this Sunday. I believe everyone can find it on Facebook Gaming. You can also find it on IMG Tennis. Again, a lot of these players playing uh, to raise funds for charity. So really cool event. Happy that they're putting it on. And certainly, if you enjoyed this virtual Madrid Open, we think you will enjoy that as well. So be on the lookout for that. But you can also watch some live tennis this weekend because tennis channel bringing back uh their ex an exo series from germany now this is not the first and you know we are obviously part of the tennis channel podcast network we are supportive of all of tennis channels endeavors now i will say some credit deserves to be given to some players in florida as well as some people i believe it's in switzerland as there have been some pro events streamed but this is the first one that's going to be live on tennis channel and it's a german exhibition i believe it's already started as we're recording this we're recording Friday morning. Uh, players like Dustin Brown, players like Yannick Hoffman in the draw. Yannick, obviously a guy we've talked to here at Crack Rackets, a guy I've talked to for a couple of pieces I'm working on. And so, you know, uh, are you excited for this weekend? I guess just to see some live tennis. It's an abbreviated format, but it'll just be nice to get back out there. Well, yeah, it, I mean, that you, you mentioned it right there. That's, that's part of the exciting part. They're using the same format as the next-gen finals. They're doing the best three of... Uh, best of three short sets to four with tie breaks at three all uh, and the no ad scoring. So that's always fun. And of course, I mean, 
everyone's been itching for uh, a little bit of live tennis. And, you know, these are all fun guys, too. I mean, Dustin Brown, fun dude to watch, I'm sure. Um, while it will be competitive, they'll also make it fun for everyone who's watching, throw in some tweeners, throw in some fun drop shots. Um, so it, it's definitely going to be a good time to, to see. Yeah, and I was texting with Mark Lucero. Is that even a name drop? Is, is Does Mark Lucero qualify for name drop category? I feel like he's borderline. <laughs> I can't wait for him to listen to this and respond, but uh, uh, Mark, I don't know, man. He's like, he's yeah. kind of... <laughs> yeah, not quite. I'd say noted personality, but maybe not quite celebrity status. Like a C-list tennis celebrity. I mean, I'm like an F-list, if even on the list, but I'm just saying. Anyways, that's erroneous. I, I was texting him, and he's, you know, his point is that it's just good for tennis to adapt. It's good for tennis to Absolutely. stay relevant. It's good for tennis to get on television. And that's what this is. And so it's a win, certainly. And as you mentioned, we're just excited to watch live uh, live results. Yeah, and, and you know, this is also coming to uh, the States as well. UTR is doing a pro match series in Florida. Uh, and you know, there I know uh, Sandgren was quoted in an article saying he'd play tennis in a hazmat suit just to go and compete. I mean, the players, just as much as us, are itching to play so uh definitely you know excited to do that to see that as well yeah no again all of these things we will continue to be watching and shout out to our friends at tennis channel for you know getting you know safely responsibly but offering up some tennis to our tennis fans that are so great uh, you know that are just we're in need we need live tennis we're watching video games at this point come on uh we are in desperate need of tennis all right last two things real quickly and then we'll get to uh today's topic but real quick uh in the sports business daily uh the usta during the pandemic they had some reassuring financial news they talked about how they think they are prepared they are well suited to get through this pandemic even if there's not a u.s open and they lose those sorts of revenues from this year it's a really interesting case and i got the tweet from brett mccormick and who writes for sports business daily and i should say is also coming on to the podcast i believe next week to discuss he's a piece he's working on that's a little tease for all of you but you know the bullet points uh the tennis facilities strong financial covenants and contractual protections which protect against revenue loss in case the U.S. Open is canceled, the USTA's long-term broadcasting agreements, which provide 50% of its pledged revenue, the New York Metro's area's solid demographics and large corporate base, and securities issued to fund the USTA's strategic transformation plan, which will enhance the fan experience and rehabilitate the facility's essential infrastructure, are all reasons why they think the USTA National Tennis Center in New York will be fine, regardless of if there's a U.S. Open or not. Your thoughts, Maxie? Well, first thought is I love to see a little bit of my work coming into the <laughs> tennis world. You know, I, I work in commercial real estate and uh, yeah, I work with our capital markets group and we work with these with Fitch and the bond ratings. So it's it's interesting to to see this kind of go hand in hand and uh, good to see that the USTA is as uh, a strong financial standing. That's awesome. Uh, you know, definitely could have been worrisome. Uh not something I necessarily would have expected. They rely on revenue from these tournaments and uh, from use of the facilities. So the ability to be comfortable, uh, you know, during a pandemic and during a, a large lapse of time without use is definitely comforting. Uh, without the USTA, we'd be, you know, I'd be very nervous. Uh, yeah. So good to see that they're, you know, staying strong. Yeah, and look, this is about the USTA National Center. I'm, I'd be fascinated to see how this uh, applies to Orlando as well because the U.S. Open funds everything. 
the U.S. TA is able to do. And you know, there are other bits and pieces here and there, but that that's the that's the cash windfall. And so, you know, yeah, it's good news. It means that there's some planning ahead going on, and that is uh, always a benefit, I suppose, as people who benefit from the U.S. TA and have our entire lives. But last piece of news: UCLA men's tennis incredible announcement video in my opinion that Ben Goldberg is going to come back for an additional season Ben a good I'll say you know someone I'm frequently texting with a good friend of mine so this is why we're bringing it up of course but I just thought the video was incredible Rothman this is your category what did you think well, the thing that I appreciate, because we've obviously seen a lot of these videos, uh, was the simplicity. Uh, a lot of times we get these people doing these elaborate tricks that a lot of people could do, uh, but I appreciated the the big smiles, the quick transitions, uh, and the smashes. Most of these guys were hammering the ball to the next to the next person, so uh, really sold the cross country, cross world, uh, you know, aspect of the video. It was it was nice. Well done. I just thought that the each person's little clip personal perfectly capture their personalities like yeah. shirtless Keegan or Zaraj in the middle of a rainforest where it's like where are you Patrick Zaraj just yeah. all, or like you know the simplicity of Connor rap and you know we talk to Austin all the time so I don't mind ripping on Connor it's like you really couldn't be more creative than just like a golf course um but uh it was just it was spot on they killed it and of course it's really cool for us to see Ben Goldberg coming back I think the whole college tennis world benefits when we have people like Ben playing in the game uh but that's today's news and obviously there are storylines for us to continue to monitor throughout the weekend and we will have a rundown of all of those storylines on monday's mini break where i believe maxi will be joining me once again to you know we bookend the, the week so we start it we finish it so i'm looking forward to that but you guys are probably all looking forward to today's debate and we will get to that debate right after this commercial break Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the mini break. Max Rothman, Alex Gruskin here to break down your Friday news and have a little fun as we head into the weekend. And whenever we have the chance to bring Maxi back onto the podcast, we, of course, are going to get into an argument because at this point, five years together, six years together, we're a married couple. Arguing's half of the fun. And when we argue, we want to talk about make it tennis related. Of course, we could we could complain about one another elsewhere. I'm sure there See, are things to say. I like I like to look at it as an as an elevated discussion, not an <laughs> argument, that this is how we work on our relationship here. It's communication, yeah. Alex. It's a public uh, therapy session where, you, and, you know, for like all people, our public therapy dis- uh, sessions re- regard tennis because that's the things we talk about. And yeah, we wanted to have a little bit of fun. And I believe it was on Wednesday's mini break podcast. Jamie McDonald and I uh, got into a debate. We'll say a high minded debate. Is that fair? Good middle. Good uh, compromise. Yeah, sure. That's what relationships are all about, compromise. And so we got into a debate between Tomas Burdich and Marin Cilic and who had the more accomplished career and which career both of us would rather have if we got to have a professional tennis career. And, of course, I had to play devil's advocate, and I was team Tomas Burdich. He was team Marin Cilic. 
I don't even want to. I feel like, and, and you know, it caused a nice little stir on tennis Twitter. People got involved, and a lot of people were much more Team Chilich than Team Burdich. And I just kind of like to stir the pot. I don't even know that I believe that Burdich had the more accomplished career. Do I think he was the better player in their primes? Yes, I do. Um, but it's just fun to stir the pot, and we wanted to do something similar today. But do you have any thoughts on that one? I mean, yeah, for, I was going to say, for the record, I probably would have taken the Burdich career. However, I wouldn't have taken the Burdich support. He definitely <laughs> did not have a whole lot of that on the tour. I mean, I'll never forget, and most people won't forget, the match against Nick Almagro, where he was just an absolute, you know, excuse my language, bag. Um, you know how many times players rip a ball right at you when you're, you know, right at the net and they you drop shot them? I mean, it's classic. Sorry the ball hits you in the arm. Like, get over it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough debate. I mean, and, and the one we chose today is also a tough debate. The, I mean, the reason that we're doing these is that they have very similar careers, longevity wise, success wise. And, uh, yeah, it's a little minute differences that, you know, make the difference between, you know, whether we think that one deserves it over the other. And, uh, it's tough. It's tough to say. I also agree. Overall, yeah. Burdich peak, better player. Let's if you go. if you match them up and and that would it's a great matchup too. They both you know big guys. I think they're both basically like six six. Uh, you know, good solid forehand, solid backhands. It it would have it's a. I'll take Burdich in five sets against Chilich at their peaks. Yeah, here's the thing: Burdich a little bit more robotic, probably Chilich yeah. a little bit more fluid. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, but they're both exceptional talents. And you know, again, do I really like? I, I'm willing to hear it either way. What I part of the reason I think these conversations are so fun is I like to take a gauge on how you, the tennis Twitter and tennis fan community, not just tennis Twitter, um, feel. You know, how do you value Grand Slams versus everything <laughs> else that happens during a season? Because ultimately, so often that's what these uh, discussions come down to is X player won X amount of slams and that's Y more than player Z and therefore X is better than Z and it's just you know I I hate you you know this about me I am not a fan of boiling it down to just eight weeks why do we play the other 40 weeks on tour because you know tennis is one of those rare sports that goes 45 46 weeks and it's like really we're only going to care about the eight weeks that are majors and we're not going to care about the other 38 and I just think Tomas Burdich by every metric was more accomplished in the other 38. And, like, for Chilich, the two additional finals he made in the semifinals of the slams, uh, he beat Kyle Edmund and Sam Querrey. And it's like, do we really think he deserves that much bonus credit because he won two additional matches against two guys who Tomas Burdich probably beats as well in those circumstances versus Burdich, who lost in, you know, the same amount of semifinals or later, but just happened to lose to Murray or Federer or Nadal. It's like, I don't think Burdich should be penalized because it's one round earlier and the competition was a little bit better. Well, that yeah, we arg- don't have to relitigate Bernard Chillis. So. No, I was going to say, uh, that argument might hurt you in this discussion that we're about to have because I think that that's a very good case for why Stan deserves a little bit more than Roddick and, and maybe we should just let that transition us into, into this discussion. That is a beautiful tease. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. Stan Wawrinka 
versus Andy Roddick and their two careers. And, you know, is it a direct comparison? You know, is it a fair comparison even? Uh, Yes, because I think you start here. Both players are Hall of Fame talents. There's no denying that. Both are also Grand Slam champions, so they have that off their bucket list. Both, you know, in the peaks of their careers, were at the top of the game. And, you know, there's a lot of nuance that goes into just, you know, uh, distinguishing between the two careers because they were both awfully impressive. And as you mentioned earlier, where they succeeded were in different places. So let's start with here why this is an apt comparison. I think, and Max, I'm curious your thoughts on that, but also give me the stand. Uh, the stand rundown. Sure. And and I think just one other thing to note about the comparison between them, people often probably forget and don't realize that they're only two years apart. It, you know, it's it feels like Roddick is so much older because he retired in 2012 and he's been off the tour now for eight years. So it, you know, Roddick is 37, I think now, and uh, while Rink is 35. Um, it just so happens that the peak for Roddick happened earlier in his career than the peak for Wawrinka. And I think that's a really big distinguishing factor that we'll discuss as we kind of talk about the different parts of success in their careers throughout this discussion. Um, but, but yeah. Real quick, because I, you nailed it there. It, it is an apt comparison, though, isn't it? Yeah, no, so that, that's my point there, is that mm-hmm. it, it is an apt comparison. Um, you know, they, they both spent about the same amount of time on tour having substantial success now of course that's another discussion we'll have towards probably the end of this podcast is the what if scenario right what if Roddick played for an additional couple of years and then you know what does the next couple of years for Stan Wawrinka look like given he's 35 and is starting to get healthy again and is you know potentially going to have some more success so uh we'll get there but Stan right has had an incredible career uh, we'll start with the Grand Slams because you kind of have to start there. Uh, has three Grand Slams. He won the Australian Open in 2014, uh, and in that Australian Open, he takes out Rafa in the final. He wins the French Open in 2015, takes out Djokovic in that final, and then he wins the U.S. Open in 2016, uh, again, taking out Novak Djokovic. Has one other final um, in the French Open where he loses to Rafa uh, in 2017. So, Three Grand Slams, one loss in the final. Really impressive in a time span where, you know, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal are very dominant. Um, So I think that's, you know, a huge point to be made about his Grand Slam performance. Just a a couple other things because... Can I add real quickly to that Grand Slam thing? Is that all right? Okay, so I I do want to play for Stan... Uh, because you talk about longevity, and that's another thing that often distinguishes in these careers. How long were you good? Stan Wawrinka <clears throat> has played a possible 60 out of 61 majors from the start of 2005 through the Australian Open in 2020. He only, the only one he didn't play was the 2017 Wimbledon, and that was because of injuries. He lost in qualities of the 05 Australian Open, but, you know, he still played that event. And then I also think it's important to point, you know, in terms of How Stan's far? prime, 2013 to 2017 Roland Garros, 13 of 17 majors, he went quarterfinals or better. To be one of the best eight players or better over a 17-major stretch, that is, that's dominant. Agreed. And, you know, I think it's also important to think about how far he's reaching in the tournaments where he's not winning or getting to the finals. He reaches the semifinals or better nine times, and he reaches the fourth round or better 28 times. And I know that that 
uh, over Andy Roddick's stretch, he only reached the fourth round or better 25 times. Now, a lot of the reason that is the case is because Roddick lost very early in the majority of his French Opens. And I think that's a big factor to consider when talking about the overall success of his career. Roddick, we'll get to the comparison in a second. I know, I know. But the success that Stan has on clay is also really significant. Um, so maybe we'll we'll leave it there. I mean, he a couple other ranking stats. He finishes in the top 40 every season from 2006 to 2017 with a career high of three. Uh, or sorry, I didn't finish three. He finishes four. Uh, but he has a career high of three. Top 10 in nine out of the 12 years. Um you know, he has a really strong rankings history. And again, this is something I'm going to keep bringing up throughout this discussion. He ranked this high during a very, very, very competitive group of players. We're finishing four with a Federer, Roddick, excuse me, a Federer and Dahl Djokovic top three. That's about as good as you can do during this era of these guys. Truly. Um, I well, think I would he, like to point out, I think he finished four in the year that Murray ended the year number one. And True. So, yeah, throw Mur- him in that discussion, throw- too. Yeah, it makes it even more competitive, right? There was a period of time where Murray made that much more difficult as well. So, um, just a couple other factors cons- to consider when thinking about his ranking history. Yeah, I know. I, I think that's a really good outline for Stan Wawrinka. And, I, you know, no one needs – I think anyone who's been a fan of tennis over the past 10 years has seen his ascendance. And, you know, you talked about him winning that Australian Open, beating Nadal in the final. Who could forget – his wins over Djokovic, uh, I think, in the quarterfinals that year. Of course, that was a Electric monumental match. moment. Yeah, a breakout match for him. Uh, let's flip gears here. Let's get to the Andy Roddick side, and let's start with the ranking stats. And I'm going to just do rankings and slams as well, and then because I think as we get into the Masters, as we get into the heads-to-head against the competition, that's where we can get a little more nuance. But, you know, for Andy Roddick, he played really the his career really happened you know yes he played tangentially in 2000 a couple of ATP events but just so you guys know in 2000 he won both the US Open and Australian Open junior boys singles titles but the majority of his career went from 2001 to 2012 that's 12 seasons in every single one of those seasons he was top 40 he finished top 15 in 11 out of uh, out of those uh, 12 years he also finished top 10 in 9 out of those 12 years and again from 2002 to 2010, he finished 10, 1, 2, 3, 6, 6, 8, 7, 8. That's outstanding. He's a, for his career, the majority of it, if not all of it, he's a top 10 player. He, of course, did reach year-end number one in 2003 when he won Cincinnati, when he won the Rogers Cup, and, of course, won that U.S. Open to finish the year so strong. Uh, he was top four for about a two-year stretch from August 03 to the end of July 05, top five for three consecutive years, August 03 through July 06. Uh, you know, that's he played, you know, average of 18 and a half events per season, and he, he was always top 10. He just managed to uh, continuously have success. And then you get to the slams. And, you know, as good as Stan has been at the slams, I could argue that Andy Roddick's most uh, signature feature as a tennis player was just how consistently excellent he was at the majority of the slams. Now, you mentioned the French Open blemishes, and yes, he only reached the fourth round of the French Open once. But considering that, uh, you know, he reached the fourth round, you know, played 45 out of 48 majors from 01 through 2012. Uh, He missed the 2001 Australian Open when he was 18 years old because he just didn't have the ranking at that point. So, you know, if you want to 
that hold out a strike. You want to say 45 out of 47. I think that's fair. Uh, but he reached the fourth round in 24 of those 48 majors. 50% of the time he's there, he's making the second week. You know, quarterfinals 19 times or better. That means he's got a 19-5 and record in Grand Slam fourth round. So that's really freaking good. You know, quarterfinals are better. Seven out of eight U.S. Opens from 01 to 08. Quarterfinals are better. Six out of eight Australian Opens from 03 to 2010. He made the semifinals are better 10 times. Uh, you know, he made four finals. Obviously, all four of those losses coming to Roger Federer. And then he has the one title at the 03 U.S. Open. But this was a guy who was outstanding. And I guess... Do we start distinguishing between the two of them now? Because when you start to get so. into further details, where I start with saying why I would take the career of Andy Roddick over Stan Wawrinka is his consistency at the Masters events. Now, there is some credit to Stan Wawrinka, you know, uh, again, three major titles. If that's something, if you're just a fan, you say the more majors, the better. That's how I judge it. I can't argue with you. That's if that's your prerogative. Uh, I'm not saying you don't have reason, but just there's nothing I can say. You say majors are the most important thing. Fine. That's your shtick. Go for it. I value the other 38 weeks. And Andy Roddick over the other 38 weeks was consistently better than Stan Wawrinka. And look, he missed way more Masters events than Stan did. He only played 67% or 68%, 73 out of 108 uh, Masters uh, events in the total of his career. He only, you know, he only played all nine in 2003, which in my opinion actually makes his ranking that much more impressive, that he was able to sustain top 10 without playing all of the Masters events. But in the 73 Masters events he played, he made quarterfinals 35 different times. He made semifinals or better 20 different times. He made four finals, uh, four separate finals where he lost and also won five different Masters titles. He qualified for the year-end finals eight straight times, played in six of them, had three semifinal appearances. If you, you know, I think it's important to say this. Stan Wawrinka at his peak was the better player. But that's yes. not the argument because, you know, for Stan to beat Djokovic, for Stan to beat Nadal, Federer, uh, you, we've all said it. A treeing Stan can compete with anyone. That's part of his greatness. That's part of his legacy. But Andy Roddick, week in, week out, was the more consistent player. And I think these Masters results prove that. I think the edges he has ranking-wise, you know, for him, again, he was in the top four, in the top five, longer consecutively than Wawrinka was. He finished in the top ten more frequently, I believe, than Wawrinka has. Oh, no, he did not. They're both at nine years. But, you know, I guess for Roddick, he also reached world number one. Um, You know, it was... It's not as long of a career as Stan Wawrinka, but by density, you know, per tournament, it was better. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond in, in a couple of different ways. Uh, I want to come back to the Grand Slams really quick because you conveniently rushed over that because you know that's a strong point for Stan Wawrinka. You made this point in the discussion we briefly had about uh, Chilich and Burdich that, you know, a few extra matches here and there against guys who aren't that great, you know, has has a substantial impact on you know the discussion on who had a better career and if you look at the grand slams and the matches that stan won to win those grand slams it is supremely impressive if you look at his 2014 uh, australian open win he goes in the fourth round and he beats i think it's a tommy robredo who at the time not the greatest player, but that's a strong fourth round win. And recently it's, was on our Cracked Interviews podcast. And recently on our Cracked Interviews podcast. Quarterfinal, he beats Novak Djokovic in that match that we talked about, 9-7 in the fifth set. 
semifinal, beats Tomas Burdich in four sets, and then goes on to beat Rafa in the final. That is a very, very impressive Grand Slam run in 2014. 2015, I'll just start at the quarterfinals, beats Roger Federer in the quarterfinals straight sets, beat Joe Willy Sanga in four sets, and then beats Djokovic in four sets to win that 2015 French but Open. But we should also, that was at Djokovic who, if memory serves me correctly, beat Nadal in the quarters and then beat Murray in the semifinals, right? Yeah. And it was like yes. a five-set thriller. So I'm not to take away the win. It's still a really impressive win. But that was also maybe the best I've ever seen Stan Wawrinka play in that match. But go, yes, I agree. Yes. Uh, and then if we look at his 2016 U.S. Open win, beats Andy Murray, or excuse me, beats uh, Juan Martin Del Potro in the quarterfinals, beats Kami Shikori in the semis, and then beats Djokovic again in the finals. Super impressive. Even in his 2017 loss in the final to Rafa, uh, he beats Marin Cilic in the quarters dominantly, has a thriller with Andy Murray in the semis, was you know clearly tired against Rafa in that final. So when looking at you know who he's beating in those Grand Slams, it makes it that much more impressive. Now, conversely, looking at Roddick's win, uh, Roddick's tw- 2003 U.S. Open win, just starting in the quarters, he beats Shalkin, uh, you know, good player, 12 seed, uh, then goes to beat now Bandian in the semis. Also good player, but not the same caliber as a Djokovic or, a, uh, you know, a Burdich. I mean, it's, that's a different caliber of player. And then beats Juan Carlos Ferrero in the final, who, granted, was the three seed and a fantastic player, not really a hardcore player. So um, I d- obviously not taking credit away from that Grand Slam, but not as difficult a path to the final. Um, now, again, you know, I, I think if we... If, so if Roddick, real quick, can I can I respond or do you, or, sorry? Just or you just okay. last thing is right. if Roddick were able to have pulled out one of those other finals, uh, this obviously would be I think it would be a very different discussion. Um, I think if Roddick could have pulled out you know one or two of the other finals that he played in, uh, you know especially that Wimbledon that we discussed in depth against Federer in 09, uh, I think you I think most people would probably give the edge to Roddick uh, because you know they look at the rankings. And they say, you know, oh, he was number one. He was, you know, two and three end of the year for two years. Um, and he had a little bit more of a sustained, you know, quote unquote, sustained excellence. I'll get into the rankings and why that's also different in a second, but I'll, I'll let you uh, respond. Well, to your point, I think everything you said goes back to something I conceded early on. Stan Wawrinka was the better tennis player. He like, like in terms of if they're both playing their best, who wins? It's Stan Wawrinka because Stan Wawrinka has that ability to hit you off the court. He is one of maybe three people in tennis history who can hit a prime Novak Djokovic off the court. And it's him, it's Federer, and it's Del Potro. And that's elite company, obviously, to include himself with. And he is always going to have more control over his matches than Andy Roddick did, who obviously, and again, check out the CR Classic, but big serve. But the big serve he had belied someone who was really a grinder at heart. And so, you know, again, if you want to say Stan Wawrinka is the better player, I have no argument for you here. But in terms of better career, again, just look at the efficiency. You know, it's not like Stan is much further off, but Roddick's making the fourth rounder better at half of his events. You know, Roddick has, I believe, more quarterfinals than Stan. Stan's got 18. Uh, Roddick's got 19. Semifinals are better. Roddick's at 10. I believe Stan is at 9. Like, yes, Stan got the job done, and that's half the battle. And you're, and to your point, you're exactly correct. If Roddick had two slams and not three, or and not one, excuse me, then, it, you know, the one slam gap, I think it, that's not enough for anyone to say just duration-wise, density-wise, efficiency-wise, Roddick had the better career. 
the two slam cap is interesting. And again, it comes down to how much do you value grand slams versus the other things? Because you get to the master's level. Roddick, five master's titles uh, on top of, I believe, four other finals he's made at the master's level. For Stan, he's got one master's title on top of, uh, on top of I think, three other finals that he's made as well. And just, you know, quarterfinals, semifinals, well, as Roddick dwarfs him. Uh, you know, 23 quarterfinals are better. Nine semifinals are better for Stan. As I mentioned for Roddick, it's 35 quarterfinals are better. 20 semifinals are better. And part of Stan's allure is he's big match Stan, right? In the biggest moments, at the biggest stages, he's been able to summon his best tennis. And Roddick wasn't always able to do that. And that's a justified criticism. But again, you know, eight straight year-end finals qualifications for Roddick versus I think it was six for Stan Wawrinka. Now, they both made the semi—or five for Stan Wawrinka, although he only played four of them. Now, they both made the semifinals three times, which means, you know, they're ending the year as one of the top four players. And that's a testament to how good both of them were relative to the competition versus their prime. Now, I think this is, you know, this is an argument you continue to make as well, the level of— competition that uh, Stan faces versus Roddick faces, and that's a really good point. But I think if you look at their records versus their biggest contemporaries at the time, and right, you're a prisoner of the moment. You can only play the contemporaries you face. Roddick was just as good against his, you know, uh, and we can start getting into the record in a second, but uh, I mean, I guess I'll get into that now. He was, you know, 7-4 and four against Lubacic, 4-1 and one against Moya, 5-0 and oh against Ferrero, uh, I think 9-3 and three against Fernando Gonzalez, 6-5 and five against Burdich. Uh, uh, I, what, what's the other one I wanted to include? 4-7 and seven against David Ferrer isn't great, but 7-7 seven and seven against Leighton Hewitt, 4-2 and two against David Nelbandian, and then, you know, for him personally being an American, 9-3 and three against Marty Fish, 10-3 against James Blake. He was beating his biggest contemporaries at the time. Now, of course, the record against Federer is atrocious, 3-21, but you know, 5-4 against a young Djokovic, 3-7 against an ascending and soon in his prime Nadal isn't horrible. And I mean, for Stan, you know, his big thing is the record against Djokovic. That's always just going to be, or uh, the records against Federer and Nadal are rough. It's 3-23, 3-19. For Stan, you look at the record he has against Djokovic. I'm looking for it now. uh, 6-19. Yeah, that's not great. And yes, he, you know, Stan was able to beat them at the slams, which is something Roddick could never do. But it's not like Stan is having this remarkable level of success against the top guys compared to Roddick, who had plenty of success against the top guys of his okay. time. But see, and and I have other, I, I want to address the Masters discussion, but you are comparing the two, three of the best players of all time to the guys that Roddick is playing. And that is, and I think is an unfair comparison. If you look at the other contemporaries that Warinka is playing against, Chilich, 12 and 2. Burdich, 11 and 5. Murray, 8 and 12. Again, was once considered part of the big four. And still is. is. Yeah, yeah, well, separate discussion. Dimitrov, 7 and 4. Nishikori, 7 and 4. I mean, Ranich, 5 and 3. Songa, 5 and 3. Anderson, 5 and 4. I mean, we're, we're looking at these other guys who, you know, compose the top 20 who are all very strong players and he has winning records against all of them. I, there's There are very few players on tour that have winning records against the, the big three. It's just, I it, it's hard to even find players who do. Um, so so can, I, I, can I make an argument to your side? This is pro Stan. I mean, to that of course. point, <laughs> Stan's most impressive feature, you know, if other than the three slams, which is obviously the building block of any argument for why you take his career, why it's the more accomplished career, 
He also has 57 career top 10 wins. That is, right. I think, is 20 more than Roddick. And you want to say, well, he's played X amount more seasons. Well, the truth is, for Stan, he's had one top 10 win in every season from 05 to, through 2020. He peaked with 9, 8, and 9 in 13 through 15. Right, and Again, now that it's shows strong. Higher ceiling. I'm not denying that. Stan Wawrinka had the higher ceiling as a player. He's always been able to, when he plays his best tennis, beat anyone on a tennis court. And you can't say that about Andy Roddick. But I do right. think Andy Roddick was more consistent. Okay, but if we're, and again, you're talking about longevity. If you look at a 10-year span from 2008 to, or 11 years from 2008 to 2019, he has over four top 10 wins in five of those seasons. So, I mean, that's, again, really strong. Um, and... And to address the rankings thing, I mean, again, you're you're talking about being number one during a time where the other players that are in the top ten are Federer, Juan Carlos Ferrero, a a, a old Andre Agassi, uh, Korea, uh, Carlos Moya, now Hewitt. Bandia. Hewitt's not in the top ten, and and this is the year end 2013, excuse me, two thousand three uh, rankings when Roddick was number one. Looking at uh, Warinka's peak. His 2014 year-end, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, top three, Warinka four, Nishikori, five, Murray, six, Burnage, seven, Ranich, eight, Chilich, nine, Ferrer, ten. I mean, it's very hard to compare those two top tens. I think that you could very comfortably say the top ten that that Warinka was in there is stronger than the top ten. I wouldn't say very comfortably, but yes, I, I, I will concede that. Yeah, it's a stronger level of competition. Right, so... I think there's there's that to think about. Now, I, I do want to address the Masters thing because I think that's a, a big, strong suit for Andy Roddick and not so much for Warenka. And I think that there's a very clear reason why that's the case. Two out of three sets. Andy Roddick's serve in two out of three sets is hard to figure out. 100%. You're trying to break that guy twice in two out of three sets? Good luck. I mean, has one of the best serves of all time. And a lot of those Masters... T- uh, Masters tournaments are on hard courts, which is his strong suit. So I think it makes perfect sense that Roddick had a lot of success in the Masters. I, I I don't know how you beat that guy when you're trying to figure out his serve in two out of three sets. Um, Warinka, for example, or, uh, on the contrary, he is a guy that has stamina. He has power, he has stamina, and he has the ability to go long in these matches. I think that's why he's had success in the Grand Slams. Uh, he can go 9-7 with Djokovic in the fifth set and is still pulling out, you know, 25 ball rallies. Uh, we watched Roddick in a couple long matches against Federer. He's not doing that in the fifth set of these matches. So uh, I, I think that it's a the main factor as to why there was so much more success for Roddick on the Masters Tour than for Wawrinka. And, and I think that that's pretty much all you need to know to understand why there's such drastic differences in the success in those tournaments. I don't think it's fair to minimize anti Roddick's success. I'm and, not and minimizing it. I, that's that that's that's my point is that it makes sense that he did have that much success but because of his game to him, style. I guess is really what I'm. Yes, saying. Uh, no, yeah. I, I agreed. Yeah, like, okay, that's fair. if you could, if that's that's a huge thing. I mean, a lot of most of the tour is two out of three sets, right? And if you can't beat a guy two out of three sets, that means you're doing something pretty damn right. Yeah, so let me make my last case for Roddick. You can give a response on Wawrinka, and then let's offer our opinions on where we stand. Sure. Because we, for the record, neither of us are saying we're pro-Stan or pro-Roddick yet. We came into this saying, and we agreed beforehand, I'll argue for Roddick, you argue for Stan. Let's see who's more, not more effective, but let's see where we end up. Um, for the Roddick case, here's the last one. 
52 career finals, 32 career titles. That's just better than Stan, who's made 30 career finals, won 16 titles. I will say they both have winning records in finals, by the way, and that's just an impressive thing. That's why they're both clearly Hall of Fame talents. Uh, For Andy Roddick, I think a big thing, you look at those titles, you know, he made a final, I think, he made two finals in every season between 2001 through 2012. He was, again— it's as good of a 12-year stretch as you'll find. Uh, now, of course, it's not Federer, Djokovic, whatever level, but for 12 years, he was a top 20 player. You know, For 9, 10 years, he was a top 10 player. For five of those years, he was a top 5 player. Uh, he won one title in every season between 2001 and 2012. It peaked in 03, obviously, with the sixth title, eight final performance. As I mentioned, he made at least two finals each year as well. For Stan, that's just not the case. There was there was some inconsistency, and you know the titles he won from 13 through 17 was obviously his prime. But he went winless in 07 and 09. He went winless uh, through 09. He went winless in 2012. He's gone winless since 2018. And if you want to say you know longevity, he's still playing. He wasn't healthy, and he's starting to get healthy again. That's fair. But he's also getting old. He is 35 years old. It's clear he's on the decline and the sort of longevity, the power plus longevity that he was able to display in matches earlier in his his career, I think it's safe to say that's no longer going to be the case. You also just look at career win percentage. Stan Wawrinka, 635. Andy Roddick, I believe, is over 70%. He's at 742. You know, I just think week in, week out, Andy Roddick was a more consistent tennis player than Stan Wawrinka. And in terms of, you know, they both get slam titles— Uh, They're both outstanding Hall of Fame talents, but I would rather put together... uh, Okay, I'm actually not sure yet, so I'm going to think about that a little more. What are your counters? Final Yeah, so so when talking about consistency, you're looking at title wins, um, primarily, and... And I think that that's a hard thing to— Well, can I just say, but it's the title wins on top of the Masters results, on top of the consistency at the Slams as well. Right. So, I mean, I guess that that comes back—still comes back to my point is that most of his consistency is Masters wins and titles. And there's still a very—you can't say Wawrinka was inconsistent. Even in years where he doesn't have finals— He's beating a lot of top 10 guys. And again, and I think this comes back to the competition point. He's trying to compete for titles against the big three and the big four and a very strong group of players. It's really hard to prove that you are consistent in titles when all the when those guys are winning, you know, eight of nine masters in a year. Um, so I, I think that's a point, you know, I, I, something that we bring up, but I think is uh, is something that is definitely worth noting Uh Stan and Fed get a 2008 doubles uh, gold medalist in in the Olympics. Huge thing. Uh, Really hard to do. The Olympics is such a big stage, and to have that on your resume is also a big factor. Um, I'm trying to—what was uh, something else you wanted me to address that we've— We've gone through through so much. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, look, they're both Davis Cup champs as well. I guess for Stan, it's really the inconsistencies, is that there are some not bad seasons, but just some non-exceptional seasons, and there's not a single non-exceptional season for Andy Roddick other than the last one, obviously, which is why it was his last one, because he didn't want to be anything other than exceptional. Right, and so, you know, you you then have to look at it, right, as if we're talking about which season would you, or which career would you rather have, you know, do you wish that Warinka was in a few more finals? Probably, um, especially on the the lower levels of the tour. It's definitely exciting 
to have been in as many finals as Roddick has been in. Um, but then, you know, you weigh it against the the success he had from pretty much 2013 to 2017. Uh, and, you know, would you rather have that? that would you rather really... have a really good five-year prime or just uh, an incredibly, you know, that's not, let me rephrase, exceptional five-year prime where you could generally be considered on your best day the best player, player in, in the world. tennis or just, you know, 12 years of I'm top 10, I'm rock solid, right? That's what right. it comes down to. But and, and then I, I think the thing to think about too, right, is even in those five years where he wasn't considered exceptional, he's still beating plenty of top 10 guys. He's just barely missing a few of those titles. And I think that it always comes down to this, right? We're talking about a few titles here and there. Um, it's a, it's a tough it's a tough conversation, and uh, it's also a bummer, too. It, you know, I think this brings us into the what-if scenarios, right? What if Roddick uh, doesn't retire in 2012, which, you know, looking back on it, probably was the right decision. I don't know if he had that much more left in the tank. What if Warinka doesn't get injured in 2017, coming off of, you know, a couple crazy years, you know, back-to-back-to-back wins in Grand Slams, 14, 15, 16, finals in 17 at the French— he very well could have had another slam or final in 2018 or 2019 had he been perfectly healthy. And yes, he is 35, but he is coming back and is progressing, you know, getting stronger and stronger. He finishes 2018, 66 in the world, 2019, he finished 16th in the world. Pretty unfortunate that he didn't have the, have the ability to compete, you know, for most of this year. But this also could be a benefit for him, right? All this rest time for his injuries uh, could be a good thing. And uh, I think the, you know, the next, you know, get, call it two years, really will define for this discussion and this argument whether he's for sure uh, the career you want to have over Roddick. Do we, get, do we get into who we would choose? Yeah, well, I was going to say... Well, yeah, let's get into who you would choose. Let's just do it now. Who would you pick? Okay. Originally, I said Roddick. Um, And I think it's when you look at the ranking, if you don't look at who is in it and you just assume that, you know, you can't really compare the guys who are in that top 10 between years and eras because there is, you know, a different style of tennis uh, and it's just, you know, it's a little bit different in general. It's impressive to be one, two, and three in consecutive years and then be in the top 10 that long. But just in in debating this with you and talking about all the points about Wawrinka, being able to win three Grand Slams against prime Federer, Djokovic, Nadal is unbelievable. It is truly unbelievable. I mean, we're talking about three of the best tennis players of all time all at their peaks in a concentrated period. And to be able to have that level of success against those guys is something I don't think I could ever pass up. Truly. Yeah. So it's a tough one, right? And here's the thing. I, I've tried to give credit to, and if you hear that in the background, Quavarius, our dog, uh, is just on one right Quavarius, now. That's a new nickname. It, yeah, it, no, I, you know, the, the movie notorious, it's just become Quavarius. Um, but uh, anyways, in terms of the longevity for Stan Wawrinka, 
60 out of 61 majors, that sort of consistency, that's remarkable. Playing 105 out of a possible 126 events, 83.3% of the Masters, even if you're not winning all of them, half a pen is the battle is just to show up. And he was always showing up, and he continues to show up throughout his career, which really did begin at the ATP level in about 2005-2006. And, you know, I gave all this credit for it's a really good 12 years from Andy Roddick. Well, Stan Wawrinka has been out there for 16, and it, it came like eight, nine years in where he had his ridiculous five. You know, Andy Roddick was really good from the get-go. Stan Wawrinka deserves credit for getting better and better and better throughout the course of his career. But there is also something to say about coming out and in your first, you know, and year dominating. or two and dominating. There, That is totally a factor. But in the first couple years that Wawrinka is on tour, he's also, you know— in 05, 06, 07, when Federer wins, you know, everything. Um, so I, 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 there's both sides to that, but I hear you. Yeah, and so it's tough. Now, as you just mentioned, and that was to sort of get to my follow-up, Andy Roddick started off his professional career exceptionally well. You know, I think it was the 2001 Australian Open that he made. It maybe it wasn't the 2001 Australian Open, but he made the quarterfinals of a major fairly quickly in his careers. The 2001 U.S. Open, that's what it was, excuse me. And, you know, from there, he's rocking and rolling. And again, seven out of eight years, he makes quarterfinals or better at the U.S. Open. Six out of eight years, he makes quarterfinals or better at the Australian Open. He was really, really, really exceptionally talented at his best. And yes, Stan Wawrinka, because of who he was able to beat in his Grand Slam finals, you know, we, I've said this repeatedly, higher upside goes to Stan. But would you rather have those years where you're just kind of teetering in and out and you're just, you know, things are struggling and you're getting a little frustrated and then you do eventually hit your prime and you overcome this benchmark. And since that moment, you know, since 2013-14, he's really been a top 10 player, top 5 when healthy. Um, But – or would you rather just have 12 years where you know, hey, every season I play, I'm going to finish, top, you know, 9 out of the 10, of, uh, 12 of them, I'm going to finish top 10. And in the other ones, I'm going to finish 14. And I'm just going to be dominant. And, you know, there's a reason Andy Roddick won 74% of his matches versus Stan, who was at, what, 67, 63, whatever it was. Roddick was a more consistent performer. Just week in, week out, you knew more of what you were going to get from Andy Roddick, even if that meant first, second round losses on the clay, versus what you were going to get from Stan Wawrinka. That being said, I mean, Stan Wawrinka is the better tennis player, and that has to mean something. That was another, you know, a, a crucial piece to my argument for Tomas Burdich over Marin Cilic was just straight up, Burdich was the better tennis player, in my opinion. Yeah, Cilic won. The circumstances broke right for him. But in my opinion, I would take a prime Thomas Burdich over a prime uh, Marin Cilic. I would probably say the same for a prime Stan Wawrinka over a prime Andy Roddick. But Roddick's sustained excellence doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion. And I can't—I I feel like I have to double down and take Roddick. Honestly, it's close. I, I, will, I would lean Roddick, but I will hear the argument for both. Yeah, and look, you know, I'm looking just at the chart that shows Roddick's Grand Slam success from 2001 to to 2011. I mean, in every single year, he makes a quarterfinal at least. I mean, that's that's amazing. Um, and yes, the the clay success is you know minimal, um, but you're right. I mean, that that is something that I think most people would would love to have. Now, you know, that goes the same for you know, excluding 2018, 
you know, Warwick, uh, in 2018 and 2012, Warinka makes a quarterfinal and better from 2010 to 2009 to 2020. Um, so, you know, it's, it's close in that sense. I think if you put Roddick in Warinka's shoes, as far as peak Roddick during the Warinka era, he doesn't do as well. Um, which obviously speculative, hard to say. Um, but you're right. I think Warinka overall is the better player. It is tough. And I know I, I definitively said Warinka before, but if you're willing to go Roddick, I'll go Wawrinka. I'm happy to take out. Yeah, I know no, you. It, I know it really you want either to. Or. That's why this was a fun conversation because uh, it really comes down to what do you value personally. I'm going to stay consistent. I will say the 12 consecutive years or 11 consecutive, whatever it was, of sustained excellence um, versus you know a really good five years, but a, a topsy turvy 16 years. Again, if you're Stan Wawrinka and you're like, hey. You know, you got to live through the first eight again to go through the second eight. I'm curious what he would say if he was like, oh, man, that would be a pain. I mean, the thing is, we're talking topsy-turvy when the guy from yeah, he's still two, really good. 2007, 2006 to 2010, he's making, you know, at least a third round in almost every single Grand Slam. Like, that's not topsy-turvy. That's, you know, he's fairly young and he's playing in a really tough group of guys. Um yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to say, but I think at the end of the day, if you're looking back at your career and you're saying, wow, I won three Grand Slams during the Rafa, Federer, Djokovic era, it's, it's I would love to have that. Yeah, it's a really good argument. Who went, you know, like the video of the Federer gets to play on the grass half and the dog gets yeah. to play on the clay half? What if you put Roddick on the clay half, but Wawrinka on the grass half? Who wins that match? Because it's an ugly tennis match. Ugh. I don't know. I would need to go back and watch like a Warinka and like Kyrgios or Karlovich or like some or like someone with like a big serve and just like and see how he handles it. Man. I don't the know. The thing is, the, the dude, I'll give it to Stan. Five yeah. sets, longevity yeah. in a match, different than longevity <laughs> in career. Dude, he can go five sets. He'll find a way to break the erotic yeah. serve. I'll, I'll give it to to Stan. Yeah. Better tennis player. I think either way, we agree. It would be a really interesting match, and so definitely something you know never that we're going to get to see. Although I could see them both playing like the pro series events on Fox Sportsnet, and like we just see both of them, you know, mid forties, just still battling because, as you mentioned, the age gap's not that big. Here's one thing that Roddick will definitely hold over Warinka: will probably forever be a better commentator than Warinka <laughs> will be. I don't know. Stan's pretty funny. He um, is. Yeah, I mean, it would be that'd be a good duo. I would listen to them in the booth. You know, it, it would be nice to. It, it would just be fun. I, I would be all in on that. But it's a really good discussion. Again, to your point, and I appreciate all of the arguments you made because you know, I if you say Stan, I, I can't argue with you. I just have to concede. Okay, that's what you value. That's fair because there's a justifiable case for that. Um, but you know, we want to know what do you fans think, and we appreciate all of you who have already interacted with us on Twitter. I'm going to pull up that. Twitter poll as we are speaking to let you know what the results were but if you want to let us know who you would take Andy Roddick or Stan Wawrinka which career you prefer please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter Instagram Facebook YouTube at uh, G Great Shot Podcast at Cracked Rackets at Max Rothman uh, because we want to know your opinions I think it's uh, you know it's uh, at, at a time like this we're all trying to figure out things to discuss in tennis and as of right now 116 votes 71 percent Stan Wawrinka 29% to Andy Roddick, so it does feel that more to be are, To be expected. Yeah, I agree. People valuing the majors 
a little bit more than the week-in, week-out success of Andy Roddick, which, as we've mentioned, is a completely fair point. Uh, any final thoughts on this, Rafa? you ready to wrap this bad boy up? Oh, man. If I could just live in a, a an Andy Roddick or Stan Wawrinka pair of shoes for a day. <laughs> no, nah, that's about it. Yeah, no, again, I appreciate all of the arguments you made because it it was a really fun conversation. And, of course, if you missed our Chillich Burgess conversation, you want to go check that out. Be sure to check out the earlier mini break we did on Wednesday, as well as all of the mini break podcasts we do week in, week out, day in, day out. We want to keep all of you guys up to date on things going on in the professional tennis world. Of course, all three, all four, I should say, of our podcasts now rocking and rolling. This podcast, the Great Shot podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, as as well as our newest podcast, the Inside Out podcast, which does some deep diving, takes a big look at the bigger narrative, some of the bigger storylines from Tennis's History, season one of that podcast, a reimagination, recreation of the written series. I did the belt looking at the best American men's tennis players in history. And by the way, we have a whole episode on Andy Roddick and his career and where he stands in American men's tennis history. So be sure to go check that out. We think that's a project you all will enjoy, of course, on YouTube. You can find our series, CR Class. Classics, where Max Rothman and I break down 09 Andy Roddick's performance that final in Wimbledon against Roger Federer, an absolute battle, an absolute classic. Uh, and it, it was a really fun episode, as I mentioned. Super producer Danny Westhoff killing it on there. And of course, just go subscribe to that YouTube channel. It's 15 seconds. If you're listening to this portion of the podcast, you probably, again, already are subscribed. And we appreciate <laughs> that. But if for some reason you're listening this long and you're not, we promise you, you will find more sort of content like this you enjoy on that YouTube channel. Of course, if you've missed any of our stuff, be sure to go to our website, crackedrackets.com. Rothman, any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? No, I mean, I, I look, I do appreciate you taking the erotic side. I know it is a little bit of a harder side, in my opinion, to argue. Um, you're, you're really arguing longevity, and so I appreciate that. And most people don't agree with you, so tough to do. <laughs> how did I get it? If this is the Bonds ratings, how did I do? <laughs> um, you didn't have a whole lot of, you know, financial protection uh covenants as as we like to call them they they, they weren't set beforehand um but I'll, I'll give you a, a b plus b plus a minus i'll take that hey i am the usta national center i appreciate that yeah no no for you i'm giving you a solid 92 and a point four we're not rounding up to an a but you get that solid a minus and honestly <laughs> if you send me an email after office hours i will probably bump you up to an a uh, that's my assessment but the people who i always give an a plus performance review for our super producers Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff who have a f- of an editing job as they always do day in day out these podcasts all of our content made possible by them and of course we are continuously appreciative of that but with it we're also appreciative I should say of our friends at Midwest Sports and again use that promo code CR15 get 15% off all of your orders at Midwest Sports your one-stop shop for all of your tennis shopping needs all orders over $75 accompanied by two-day free shipping as well but that'll do it for this week's mini break podcast of course Maxie and I will be back on Monday with another fun conversation topic for all of you as well as our recap of the weekend's news but with that being said for my wonderful co-host my doubles partner my partner in crime Maxwell Labauer Rothman for our super producers Max Flingner and Daniel Westoff our friends at Midwest Sports and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin Maxie what do we tell the listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.